bow your hearts with me. Our Lord, we have sang these songs to you, and now we come and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Spirit, we need you to illumine our minds. We need your word to come off these pages and into our hearts, so not only this would be just intellectual exercise, but by your grace and by your spirit, we would walk from here transformed by your word. Pray in Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 1. And this morning, I want to bring you a message entitled, Are You Blessed? Now, I want this question to ring in your mind for about the next 50 minutes, so that by the time you walk through those doors, you would be able to answer this question for yourself. Now, if you ask random people, just walk around and ask them this question, most of the people would answer it affirmatively. Yeah. Of course I'm blessed. At least social media users. No doubt you have seen posts of exquisite vacations, of you know, large purchases, large houses, fancy boats, adorable children, followed by a hashtag blessed. You watch sports, athletes celebrate their accomplishment by saying that, listen, I am blessed by God. Students post their grades, their exams online with hashtag bless. One user gave this reminder to all students and all parents, and he said, reminder that posting your GPA on Facebook is gross and obnoxious, unless you add blessed, in which case you're just being humble. Even New York Times noted how this hashtag is abused when they said, there is nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. By co but calling something blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble. Fish for a compliment acknowledges success without sounding too conceited or purposely illicit envy. Many people are confused about what it means to be blessed, and others just misuse this term as we see here. But because we're believers, because we have the word of God, we want God to define terms for us. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, no doubt you've read Psalm 1. Many of you have it memorized. And this book, this psalm, stands at the beginning of Psalms as an introduction to the entire book. In some ways, we can say that this psalm summarizes the message of the entire Bible. The message is clear. The message is precise. The message is, you can say, black and white. There are two types of people, those who are blessed and those who are cursed. There are only two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There are only two types of destinies, bliss with God or destruction without him. This is what Bible is all about and it is summed up in this psalm. Now this morning, I want to zero in specifically on first three verses of the psalm. And I want to define for us what it means to be blessed. We will begin by defining this concept of blessedness. And then as the psalmist, we will focus on two things. We will focus on the behavior of a blessed man. 
And then we'll talk about the benefits of being a blessed man. How do you know if you're blessed? How do you know if someone is blessed? The psalm answers these questions. Now when you read the psalm and it says how blessed is the man who live in the world when I have to say that the psalm does not just talk to males in this room. Man includes both man and woman. I'm not just gonna be preaching to man this morning. It is for all of us here. Blessed is the man. Join me as I read Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's begin by looking at this word, blessed. Now, as you read through the Bible, you often run into this word, blessed, or the Lord blessed somebody. For example, Genesis 1.22, God says, for God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. This is a different word than the one that is used here. It's a verb. God blessed them. When we're talking about that blessing, as in Genesis 1.22, it refers to something that God bestows on you. Now, the word in our context is different, and one dictionary defines this term this way. A heightened state of happiness and joy implied very favorable circumstances and enjoyment. If you are blessed by God, that's one word, then you are a blessed man, a different word. This word blessed can mean happy. It means happy, flourishing, satisfied. Did you know that God wants you to be happy? Did you know that God wants you to be the happiest person in the world? Now in our circles, uh, we oftentimes pit holiness against happiness, and I'm guilty of this because I've said before, you know, God wants you to be holy rather than happy. And it's true if you define the terms properly. But God does want you to be happy. Did you know that we serve a happy God? When was the last time you thought about that God in heaven is really a happy God? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul refers to the sound teaching, which is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed or literally happy God. God is infinitely happy, and he wants his children to be happy as well. Piper notes when he says, no one would want to spend eternity with unhappy God. If God is unhappy, then the goal of the gospel is not a happy goal, and that means that it would be no gospel at all. Listen, we don't even want to spend a day with unhappy people, let alone spending eternity with unhappy God. God is a happy God. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he said in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Sure, you have eternity of happiness prepared for you, but God doesn't want you to be miserable in this life. 
There is happiness and there is joy that you, you and I ought to enjoy even while we're here. We look at this psalm and we can say a blessed man is a happy man. Now granted, this happiness is not superficial. We're not just talking about laughter. We're not just talking about smiles. We're not just talking about emotions because you can laugh and smile and be dying on the inside. That is absolutely true. And so here when he says a happy man is, a blessed man is a happy man. Now this happiness is this deep internal satisfaction with who God is and what he's doing for you and in you. Regardless of what is going on on the outside, this man is deeply satisfied with God. Now I can guarantee you that every single person in this room wants to be happy. See, the reason why you and I choose to sin every single day is because we think that that thing is going to make us happy. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. And there is temporary happiness in sins. There is temporary enjoyment in that. And so we betray the true happiness for that which really does not satisfy. We looked at God's commandment as restrictive, as if God is somehow curbing your freedom and hiding some joys and happiness from you. C.S. Lewis gave this analogy. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are too easily pleased. So what does a holiday at sea look like? We looked at this psalm, and the psalm describes for us a truly blessed and happy man. Now as we describe this blessed man, the author first focuses on the behavior of a blessed man in first two verses. Now, as we look at first two verses, I want to give you three descriptions of a blessed man. Three descriptions. If you take your notes, uh, I'll repeat them a bunch of times, so don't worry getting this at the same time. I want to give you three things that you can take away from first three verses, and I want you to look at your verses and see where it is in the text. Number one, a blessed man is influenced not by the world, but by the word. Number two, a blessed man, man meditates not on lawlessness, but on the law of the Lord. And a blessed man delights not in sin, but in scripture. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, a blessed man is influenced not by the world, but by the word. Look at verse one. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now just by way of observation, I want you to notice how this psalm is structured. Verse one begins, and in verse one you have three knots. He says here, a man who does not walk, a man who does not stand, and a man who does not sit. Now why don't you just describe to us what this man does? We're not just going to verse 2 and say, hey, blessed man does this. But he begins by saying to us what blessed man does not do. Listen, happiness is not a result of adding some things into your life. 
That's not what happiness is. First of all, it starts by you getting rid of some things in your life. Now think about it this way. All of us at one time or another wanted to get in shape. Adults, right? In order for you to get in shape, you have to do two things. You have to exercise and you have to eat right, right? Now, one or the other won't work. You got to do both of them. I tried. You exercise really hard. You, you know, get on your machine or whatever you do. You burn a lot of calories. And then I go to the kitchen and I undo everything in the kitchen. Because, well, I like cakes. I like cookies. I like candy. And because you exercise so hard, you think, well, I deserve. I can have an extra one. And so you exercise really hard. And then you go and you undo everything. Now, adding exercise to your life is a great thing. But you know what? The results will be minimal. Now, if you think you're going to be godly by just throwing some things into your life, adding a little bit of prayer or adding a little bit of scripture reading or maybe one Bible study here and there, you think your life is going to be fixed and you're going to be a blessed man. It doesn't work like that. First of all, he says, a blessed man, he does not do this. It's not about just adding some things to your life. It's about taking the things that are destroying you away And notice he says here, a blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, counsel is influence. All of us are influenced by somebody. It is foolish to think that you are so independent that no one is influencing you. I mean, just look around. Just look at our society. Some hairstyle is in. Some kind of clothing is in. And everybody's wearing it. Why? Because everybody independently arrived at the conclusion that that's the best thing ever. No. No, because everybody's looking at each other and like, yeah, it looks cool. We are all influenced by one another. And since we are all influenced by one another, the question you should ask yourself, who is influencing me? Now, in the psalm, the psalmist says here, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You watch the wicked long enough, You listen to the wicked long enough, and you will soon become just like them. Psalms begins this poetry or wisdom literature. And in in wisdom literature, there is a lot of references to influence. There are a lot of references that you should be careful who is speaking into your life. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs is a parenting book. You know, the father is instructing the child And the very first instruction he gives to him, for example, Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, he said, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like she even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, this is advice. Do not walk in the way with them. The sinners will try to entice you. They will show you things that will be appealing to you. Their Instagram and Facebook pages will be very alluring. And he said, do not walk in the way with them. Now, this is not just for high schoolers and, you know, kids here who are influenced by peer pressure. This is for all of us. Every single one of us sees things and hears things, and we are influenced by it. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The world will try to mold you into its form. And Paul says, do not conform. Speaking to believers in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you let the world speak into your life long enough, you will begin to think like the world. And soon enough, you will begin to act like world. Now notice, it starts with counsel. It starts with just merely hearing an advice. It's just a suggestion. It's just a form of mind. But all that begins to form your thinking, begins to form your mind how you think. And here, psalmist says, a blessed man, a truly happy man, he is not influenced by the world. That's the first thing. He is not influenced by the counsel, by the advice, by the influence of the world, but he is influenced by the word. We'll be looking at verse 2 in more details later on, but you see the strong emphasis on the word here. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The word of God so penetrates your mind that you are able to take everything that you see, everything that surrounds you, everything that enters your eyes or your ears, and you're able to filter it through the prism of God's word. How do you become holy? You become holy when you are exposed and submitted to the word of God. Didn't Jesus say, sanctify them by the truth? Your word is truth. You become holy by being influenced by the word. That's why we need solid preaching. That's why we need personal reading, personal study, personal Bible study, memorization of scripture, so that the word of God so fills your mind that you will be able to discern error. So let me ask you, who's influencing you? Are you listening to the influence of the world or are you saturated with the word? Who do you follow on Instagram? What programs or shows do you watch? What movies do you watch? What podcasts do you listen to? Who is speaking into your life because all of that is forming your thinking? You know, they say, tell me who your friends are and I will tell you who you are. You can say it differently. You can say, tell me who's influencing you and I will tell you who you soon will be. Who's speaking into your life? And here he says, godly man is not influenced by the world but he's influenced by the word. Second, a blessed man meditates not on lawlessness, but on the law of the Lord. Look again at verse one. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and then nor stand in the path of sinners. Now notice there is a progression here. There is a walk, then there is stand, then there is sit. It's almost like the world is coming to a halt. I mean, you can imagine this scenario. You can imagine a guy walking down the road and there are some scoffers sitting on the side and they're shouting out to him. They're calling out to him and he's walking and they're, they're trying to influence him. They're trying to say something to him. And he listens to them and all of a sudden he, he stops. He stops there for a moment just, just to think about what he heard. He stops and he thinks about it. He meditates on it and pretty soon he sits down with them. Notice he meditates on the influence that he hears. The things that you hear, the things that you see, they enter your mind. And then you begin to process those things. Now notice there are two paths here. He says here who who does not stand in the path of sinners. Again, there are no gray areas here. There is either a path of sinner or the path of the righteous. 
You are either wicked or you are righteous. You are either sinner or you're righteous. The worldly influence will cause you to walk in the path of sinners. Now the theme of two paths, as I said, is very prominent in scripture. Just consider a few of these verses from the book of Proverbs. I read to you Proverbs 1.15 where he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their paths. There are certain paths that they travel and he said, stay away from those. Proverbs chapter two, verse 12 and 13 says, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness. Proverbs 2, 9 says that God is guarding the path of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Chapter two, verse 19 and 20, none who go to her, speaking of adulterous woman, return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of godly men and keep your path, keep to the paths of righteousness. And Proverbs chapter three, verse 17, her ways or wisdom's ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. It is as if you're standing at a fork in the road and there is a path of righteousness, and then there is path of the wicked. And the wisdom is calling out to you and says, do not go that way, follow me. And the ungodly influence says, come this way. It's gonna be fun, you're gonna have a lot of things, everything's gonna be great, and come and follow us. Choosing to listen to ungodly influence leads to the path of sinners. Now notice here that it follows a predictable pattern. First, it goes to your head, then it goes to your heart, and then it goes to your hands. Before you actually do something, it has to follow that pattern. Influence, first of all, deals with your mind. It deals with your head. You hear something, you see something, and then you begin to meditate on it. You begin to think on it. And as you meditate, that thought or that idea, it begins to travel from your head to your heart when that thing that you thought or the thing that you saw becomes a conviction in your heart, and only after it has become conviction in your heart, then you carry it out. You see, you don't just fall into sin. You usually slide into sin by following this progression. You allow your mind to meditate on something that is wrong, and then that becomes conviction in your heart, and then your hands carry it out. See, sin and wickedness become meditations of your heart. If you are not careful and you listen to ungodly influence, you begin to meditate on it. In Psalm 101, David says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. To meditate is to set something before your eyes. When we're talking about a meditation, we're not talking about this Eastern religion. We're not talking about empty your mind of all conscious thought. No, meditation is actually the opposite of that. It is thinking intently on something. It's like going to a jewelry store, store and you picked out the thing that you want to buy and you take it out and you look at it from every single angle, from every side, wondering if you really want to buy it. That's what meditation is. Meditation is you have a thought and you begin to examine it. You begin to look at it from every side to see, hey, is this the right thing? Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? All of us constantly meditate on something. And the question is, what is it? What is it? What is your mind preoccupied with? He says ungodly people, they're influenced by ungodly people. And then they're constantly meditating on it. They're constantly thinking about it. 
But a blessed man, he does not do that. Verse 2, he says, a blessed man, he does not meditate on lawlessness, but he meditates on the law of the Lord, verse 2. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That doesn't mean that you're going to do a Bible study 24 hours a day. Obviously, it doesn't mean that just like praying at all times does not mean that you're going to be on your knees 24 hours a day. Ever been in a situation that is just so overpowering that it consumes you? Something happens to your family, something happens to your kid, or maybe there's, you know, medical emergency. Now, even though during that time you're able to do other things, that one thing never leaves your mind. It is always in the back of your head, and you're always processing, you're always thinking about it. That's the idea here. When you meditate, he's saying that the Word of God actually never leaves your mind. You are constantly processing everything through the prism of God's word. Biblical meditation is prayerful reflection on scripture with the view toward understanding and application. Now, this constant 24-hour meditation is only possible when you set aside time to actually think through the word. When you have seasons in your life, where you have hours in your day, when you spend dedicated time with your word, and when the word becomes so much part of you, then you are able to process everything in your life through that word. Now, speaking to Joshua, who's a man of action, listen to what God said to him, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may become, be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then, your way, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. When God said that to Moses, uh, to Joshua, he only had five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But God, I mean, aren't there better things that I can think about? I gotta lead the entire army into the promised land. Shouldn't I be thinking about strategy for that? I mean, God, I have to lead all these people into the promised land. Shouldn't I be concerned with that and thinking about that, all, about that at all times? He says, no, no. You should meditate on the law day and night continually so that you would know what I require of you. And in order for you to understand the law, you're supposed to internalize it. You're supposed to take that truth and meditate and think about it. For you to have proper understanding, you need meditation. Now ask yourself a question. How much time do I spend meditating on the word of God? This is more than just reading a passage of scripture early in the morning. Even though that's a great start, that's an amazing start. You have to do that. You have to have a dedicated plan. But as you read, don't just let the word of God pass through you like the water through the pipe so it doesn't affect you in any way. And you just put a check mark, oh, I've read this. No, think about what the word is speaking to you at that moment. What is God trying to say to your heart? What is God instructing you? A blessed man is not influenced by the world, but he is influenced by the word because he spends time in the word. A blessed man, he does not meditate on lawlessness, but he meditates on the law of the Lord. Number three, a blessed man delights not in sin, but in scripture. Again, verse one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice that the influence of the wicked followed by a meditation on lawlessness, leads to the third and final step. You are sitting with scoffers, and you are mocking the righteous. He says he does not sit with scoffers. 
Now, you don't just end up there. You don't just all of a sudden find yourself in the company of scoffers. No, you've moved past meditation. And you wholeheartedly embrace the counsel of the wicked. Wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, it separates all unbelievers into three categories. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, wisdom calls out, and it says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. There are some people who are just naive. These people just, they, they have not made up their mind yet. They're, they're not sure what they believe. They're just so open-minded that they're willing to expect, accept anyone's and everyone's advice. They're gullible. They have no discernment. They're easily seduced. These are people that Paul spoke about when he said that these are people who are carried about by every wind. It blows this way, they go this way. The wind blows the other way, they're ready to go the other way. These people are in desperate need of instruction. But then he said there are those who are scoffers. Scoffers. These people know the truth. These people understand the truth. They ignore the truth and they mock the truth. They have determined that regardless of what the truth is, they're going to live contrary to it. These people are worse than naive because naive, they're not sure about what is right, what is wrong, but these people consciously and willingly mock the truth and mock those who walk according to the truth. And then there's a third group. He says they're fools. They're fools. They don't even want to learn. They're like, I don't really care. You do your own thing. I do my own thing. They don't care. They're, they're somewhere in between these two categories, between the naive and between the scoffers. They don't want to listen. And in this case, he says, a man who follows the counsel of the ungodly, who stands there and meditates on their counsel, ends up sitting in the seed of scoffers. This man sits with them. This man delights in sin. In order for you to sit there, you got to love your wickedness. you got to love your sin. And you're willing to mock anyone who does not walk with you along the way. Now here he says, a blessed man, he does not sit with scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He finds true happiness. He finds true joy in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, which we read, verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. How sweet are the words of my, uh, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. A blessed man is the one who finds delight in the word. Now, this doesn't come automatically. Unbelievers hate the word. Unbelievers don't submit to the word. Why? Because the word is restrictive. The word curbs your freedom. The word tells you what not to do. But he says, if you have truly come to taste God in his word, then it is a delight for you. Now, in order for you to delight in the word, first of all, you have to be regenerate. You have to be born again because this is an acquired taste. It doesn't come naturally to anybody. You have to be born again and you have to have the spirit on the inside of you who opens your mind to understand the word. You have to pray. Because even as believers, we can come to the point or we could be at a point where I don't want to read my Bible. It's true. There are times when you don't want to read your Bible. And when you least want it is when you most need it. And in this case, he says here, a blessed man, a happy man, is the one who finds true delight in the word. We must pray. The verse that Vic quoted, Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist prays and he says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. You can read this just as any book. 
But when the God by his spirit illumines the words on the page and they become alive for you, he says you, God opens your eyes and this is, this is how you approach the word of God as you come to it. Don't let the word of God just pass through you. Let the word of God affect you. You come to the word of God every morning and you allow your soul to be satisfied with the word. And when you are truly satisfied with God, it will lead to all the other things. It will lead to confession of your sin. It will lead to thanksgiving. It will lead to intercession. It will lead to supplication. And let the word drive your prayer. When your soul is satisfied with God, then he says you will truly be a blessed man. A blessed man is the one who finds delight in the word of God. So we take the first two verses, and we summarize them, and we say that a blessed man is not influenced by the world, but he is influenced by the word. He meditates not on lawlessness, but on the law of the Lord, and he delights not in sin, but in scripture. Now, if this is the behavior of a blessed man, this is what he does. What are the benefits of being a blessed man? I'm going to give you five things from verse 3, and we'll end here. Five things from verse 3. First of all, a blessed man is a stable man. A blessed man is a stable man. Look at verse 3. He says, he will be like a tree. Now think about it. Think about the picture that he's using. He says, he will be like a tree firmly planted. A tree is a picture of stability. You can have a tree grown in your backyard and it's tall and it's large and it's big. And he says, a righteous man who does these things that I've told you in verses 1 and 2, he is like a tree. Now this stability is seen even better when you compare it to verse 4. Because in verse 4 he says, the wicked are not so, they are like what? They're like chaff. Chaff, which the wind drives away. A wind blows and the chaff is gone but the tree stands. Because you are deeply rooted, God does not promise that everything is gonna go well in your life. God does not promise that there will not be rains. He does not promise that there will not be storms. He does not promise that there will not be any hurricanes in your life. There might be. But he says, if you are a blessed man and if you find your satisfaction in the word of God, even when the winds come, even when the storms come, this man is a stable man. This man is able to stand even with every, when everything around him is hectic. You will not be thrown for a loop every single time something happens to you, to your wife, to your kids, to your church, and to something else. No, a blessed man, he finds his satisfaction and his happiness not in what happens around him. Because oftentimes the worldly happiness is defined, defined by what happens to you. And if something bad happens to you, then you're not happy anymore. But notice that this man finds his satisfaction not in what happens to him, but what's in the word, what's, what God thinks. And because he knows that God is sovereign over all circumstances, he said this man will be a stable man. I mean, we look up to people who when you look at their life and it seems like the world is falling apart, but they're still standing. They seem to be just plugging along, going along. And we look up to those people. And he says this man is a blessed man. A blessed man is a stable man. A blessed man is a satisfied man. He's a satisfied man. He says he will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. This word streams can be translated channels. Planted by channels of water. These could be underground natural channels or these could be artificial channels for watering trees. 
I mean, the roots of this tree, they go deep into the soil where he has nutrients that can satisfy his soul. See, the tree is healthy when it has access to life-giving water. He says, a blessed man who is rooted in the word of God, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is a satisfied man, regardless of what is happening around him. Notice the streams are plural. There is more than enough water for this tree. There is enough water for multiple trees there. And when he says a blessed man, there is plenty of satisfaction for him in the word with God. In the things of God, he will find satisfaction and he will be able to be stable and he will be satisfied in life. Third, a blessed man is a fruitful man. Fruitful man, because the verse says here, this tree which yields its fruit in its season. Because this tree has life on the inside, it bears fruit on the outside. And notice how trees don't bear fruit 365 times a year. They don't bear fruit every day. Trees bear fruit in their seasons. There are seasons of cultivation. There are seasons of growth. There are seasons of rest. And then when the fruit season comes, he says, this tree, it bears fruit. Now, it is exactly the same way with you. God brings you through a process. God molds you. God sharpens you. God works on you so that when the season comes, he says, every time a fruit season comes, this tree bears fruit. Why? Because this tree has life on the inside. Because this tree has deep roots that go deep into the ground to those underground streams. We can say it this way. The depth of your roots will determine the quality of your fruits. You see, you might look beautiful on the outside and everything seems good. But, there is, but if there is no structure on the inside, if there is no life on the inside, if there is nothing underground, it doesn't matter. What if we go somewhere and, you know, we pick up a large tree and we bring it to my backyard and we just put it there in the backyard? It has no roots. Nothing on the inside can hold that tree and it can't bear fruit. Why? Because there is no structure, because there is no internal life. But he says, this man, because he has life flowing on the inside of him, he can bear fruit on the outside. A blessed man is a stable man. He's satisfied man. He's fruitful man. And then he says, a blessed man is a lively man. He says, and its leaf does not wither. While the, season, while the fruit might be seasonal, he says his life is ongoing. God is always working with you. Through the word, God always gives you the nutrients that you need. These green leaves, this picture of vitality. There is life. It's not a dead tree somewhere. There is life in this tree. And constantly his leaf does not wither. He is always green. Even through the winter seasons, Life continues in the inner man. And finally, as he concludes this verse, he says, a blessed man is a successful man. And in whatever he does, he prospers. We can say that this is the most abused line in the psalm. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now you gotta keep in mind where the psalm is in Revelation. The psalm is written at a time where people were living under Mosaic Covenant. And in the Mosaic Covenant, God had promised to his people, and he said that if you abide in my law, if you walk according to the commands that I give you, I am going to give you prosperity, even 
material prosperity. You will live in the land, and you will have all those things and all the blessings that are outlined in the Old Testament. But even as we look at this psalm, the context of the psalm indicates that this is not just this blanket promise of material prosperity. A tree that is prospering is a tree that bears fruit. Tree that bears fruit is a prosperous tree. A man, a blessed man that is prosperous is a man who bears fruit in his life. Whatever God has you in life, whatever God sta- whatever station God assigned to you, a blessed man, a successful man is the one who accomplishes the thing that the Lord has commanded you to do. There is power in the word. There is power in God. There is internal life that gives you strength to be what God made you to be. A blessed man is a stable man. He's a satisfied man. He's a fruitful man. He has life on the inside, and he prospers. As we close our time, let me ask you the question that I started with. Are you a blessed man? Are you a blessed man according to the description of this psalm? Now, if we're honest, no one in this room actually qualifies as this blessed man in all ways. Listen, all of us have things in our life that influence us, not for the good, but for the bad. All of us at one time or another, we meditate on things that are not in the word. And all of us at one time or another, we have scoffed at things that were right and godly. But the point of the psalm is not for you you to take three things that you gotta go home and do. You have to recognize, first of all, that A blessed man is the one whom the Lord has taken from a barren field and he has transplanted him into a fertile ground where there are streams of water. This is you and me. We can only bear fruit if we find ourselves in Christ who is the only blessed man. The point is not that you just go home and add some things to your life and try these things at home because you will not. Christ is the only blessed man who lived according to the psalm. And because we are in Christ, and because we have the Spirit of God on the inside, now you and I are able to follow his example. Now you and I are able to obey these commands. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. As you look to Christ this morning, take inventory of your life. Between you and the Lord, ask yourself, what is influencing me? What am I listening to? What am I watching? What am I thinking about? Consider the things that you meditate on. Fill your mind with the word of God and let that shape your thinking. And take steps that you would come to a place where you could, as the psalmist says, delight in the law of the Lord. And if that is going to be you, then the benefits that are outlined in verse three that you will be a stable man. You will be a satisfied man. You will be a fruitful man. You will have life of God on the inside and you will prosper where God has you and as God has you. May the Lord give us grace to do this. Our Father, we ask you that these truths would be planted in our hearts and bear fruit. We ask you by your spirit to produce in us this desire, this delight in you and in your word. We can't do this on our own. 
we have no power and we confess our need for you. But we know that you are all powerful and you are all satisfying and you desire the happiness of every single person here. I pray that none of us would try to satisfy ourselves with things that do not actually satisfy. I pray that we would not settle for mud pies in the slums, but we would go and enjoy the vacation at the sea. In Christ's name, amen.